Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of School Safety Today, a Raptor Technologies podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we explore major trends in school safety and map out actionable strategies for you to apply as an educator, as a decision maker in the education world to make sure that you create a safer and healthier environment for students. So before we get into today's conversation, I want to make sure you're all tapped into uh, our previous pieces of content and also uh, supplemental research, uh, as well as just more information on our solutions and services. So make sure that you're going to our website, raptortech.com. You'll find everything you need there, including episodes of School Safety Today, other pieces of content like videos, articles, blogs, research, etc. But then, like I said, also some more information on our solutions, our services, and supplemental information on some of the topics we're going to be breaking down today. And you can also subscribe to School Safety Today on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new episodes of the show. So let's go ahead and dig into today's conversation. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking some of the heavier aspects of school safety. We cover you know, several touch points in the larger ecosystem of school safety, which post-pandemic uh, continues to expand in scope, right? But today we're honing in on some of the more familiar aspects of school safety, and that's how school districts are approaching both educating as well as training students on how to maneuver and in worst case scenarios, how to survive violent incidents at school. You know, it's one of those topics that you wish wasn't even a discussion, right? But idealism only gets us so far. And today we are going to map out some strategies that are actionable for students, for educators in creating that positive environment for safety, for health and wellness, et cetera. And so today we're going to be sitting down with an industry leader whose work around school safety training and bringing these difficult topics down to earth for students in an accessible way has led to multiple accolades. I'll run through them here real quickly. For example, multiple California State Assembly and State Senate Certificates of Recognition, a 2017 Integrity Award from Farmers and Merchants Bank, He's won the Social Impact Award from the International Executive Council, a Certificate of Recognition from the U.S. Congressional Office, and that's just scratching the surface. And our guest today is going to help us analyze not only his methods for implementing reactive school safety, how they work, and also how they've been received by the larger education community so that we can get educators thinking on how to create a generation of safe thinkers in schools. So I'm pleased to welcome our guest today. Let's give a virtual round of applause here to Mr. Adam Coffrin. He's co-founder of Safe Kids Inc. and the developer of the HERO program, which is a safety-minded skills program that helps children, again, survive violent incidents through age-appropriate courses, engaging activities, professional development for educators as well, and a series of tangible and material drills and scenarios. Adam, great to have you on, man. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for the intro and great for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, you know, you uh, you are no stranger to, um, you know, being in front of the camera. You've done plenty of interviews with NBC Today, ABC's Good Morning America, CBS This Morning. I mean, again, that's just scratching the surface, too. So I appreciate you making some time out of your busy schedule to chat with us, too, and walk us through this methodology 
and why it's so critical for the uh, professional community in education. Uh, for just a little bit more bio, so our audience understands uh, your background, and then I'll let you describe a bit of it yourself. Um, Adam Coffrin is an industry leader in safety and security for training for not only schools, but also businesses and organizations. He's also a veteran of South California law enforcement, and he utilized those skills and that experience to help found Safe Kids, Inc. So, Adam, I want to start there with that career journey. What drew you from a career in law enforcement to, I know there was a sort of a, a second step where you did counseling on safety for uh, professional organizations, and then taking that and turning it into developing high-level safety strategies for the education community. Walk us through those touch points. Sure, yeah. So, you know, my career spanned uh, Southern California law enforcement for almost 20 years. Um, got to do a lot of really cool things in Southern California. Got to, you know, work a bunch of different um, specialty units and get to really engage with some fantastic people. And during that course, uh, one of the opportunities I had was to work on our what we called our active shooter team or our primary response officer team. And it was really that team that was designed to try to stop these active shooter events before they got too far out of hand or, or you know, we see some of the, the tragedies and the, and the numbers uh, as these things go on and on. That was in the mid 2000s. That was when we recognized that we needed a specialized team of officers that were specially trained with special weapons and, and all the things that you would think of uh, to try to handle these things before a SWAT team could get there or before, you know, other resources could get there. And during the course of that journey, obviously I had a lot of training. You know, we responded to various types of these incidents, you know, all throughout the city that I worked for. Um, but I was also training as well. So we were training organizations and schools, um, but we were training them much kind of like many of us who maybe heard of before. It's a little scary, right? We were, we were cops, we were police officers. And so we went in and we were teaching professionals and teachers and all kinds of other folks the same way that we would train cops, which is kind of scary. Um, you know, we were shooting them with, you know, either Nerf guns or pellet guns. Uh, we were showing our in-car camera videos and 911 tapes. Um, and as police officers were like, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the way we train. We got to show people how it is. Um, however, after doing that for a bit, you kind of start to realize maybe that's not the best route to take, especially when you talk about education, especially when you talk about kids. And so my transition really started seeing the need for, uh, you know, professional training services and, and people who have the tactical knowledge and have, you know, the street experience and, and all the things that you would expect uh, someone like this to have, but then converting it into a way that, you know, how can kids understand this? How could even just normal professionals who were never in law enforcement or never in the military, how could they digest the information without scaring them, driving up anxiety, driving up trauma um, and, you know, really trying to bridge that gap between those two. And that's kind of where that journey began. And as we're going to break down today, it seems like that journey has been very successful and has led to um, a, another important piece of that safety puzzle for educators. So let's dig into the program itself a little bit more. Can you tell us a bit about how Safe Kids, Inc. came to be, um, you know, in some of those early uh, foundational stages and then kind of where it's taken you? And then also how you develop the HERO program, which for our audience stands for Hide, Escape, Run, Overcome, uh, which, again, is designed to teach kids some of those safe thinking skills. So walk us through the inception of both Safe Kids, Inc. and the HERO program and where that leaves us today. Sure. Well, and, you know, as I was just speaking of, you know, we had a lot of knowledge and we were training a bunch of people, but it wasn't really connecting well. 
And in about 2013, 2014, I was training um, at a private school, you know, training the teachers and doing, you know, showing scary videos and shooting them with Nerf guns and, and doing all kind of that traditional thing. And at the conclusion of that course, I had a third grade teacher come up to me and she asked me, she goes, you know, Adam, I enjoyed the course for as much as someone, I guess, could enjoy that the topic and the course. But I don't want to be the only one in this classroom should something bad ever happen that knows what to do. I have 23rd graders. Um, How am I supposed to do something with them? How am I supposed to talk to them about it? How am I supposed to kind of get us all on the same page, uh, you know, if something were to happen? And I didn't really have an answer for her. Um, You know, I, 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 I just like this kind of just stumbled over my words and I didn't really know what to tell her. And it kind of bugged me for a little bit. Well, as luck would have it, fast forward a few months, um, we respond to a threat of a school active shooter, uh, you know, gun on campus, and it was, you know, Murphy's Law, right? So at lunchtime, uh, it was a middle school, no one was in a classroom, most of the teachers were also having lunch, you know, in the teacher's lounge. And so it was kind of one of those perfect storms of all the people who knew what to do really weren't there. They were not there, right? They were away from their kids, away from their students. And being the first one on that campus uh, as part of that team and now trying to find, you know, who are the bad guys? What's going on? Is there anyone hurt? Is there anyone what's going on? You could see the fear in these kids' eyes. It was at lunch. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know what to do. They were every nook and cranny of that campus that you could possibly imagine. And the uniforms that we had at that time uh, on that team, you know, they were, you know, just black polo shirts, you know, police on the front and on the back. But I could realize as I'm walking down these hallways and I'm trying to look into the classrooms. You know, I'm carrying a big rifle, trying to see what's going on. That all these kids saw was someone with a big rifle and a dark colored black shirt. And they didn't know if I was a good person or a bad person. Uh, and just the, the, all the components of this incident, I could hear that third grade teacher's voice in my head again. Like, how do I tell my kids? How should we talk to kids about it? And that was kind of really the birth of the concept of, of Safe Kids in the Hero Program is could we talk to kids as young as kindergarten about this really scary topic, but do it in a way that wasn't fearful, right? Wasn't trauma uh, inducing. Uh, it didn't make them more afraid about something than less afraid. Uh, we essentially didn't really, you know, we wanted to do no harm. We wanted to not lose that that sense of innocence in little kids. And obviously, as you know, kids grow older, middle school and high school, they're a little bit more aware of the world. But we didn't want to lose that innocence on on the really young kids. And so that's when we kind of started out on this journey of. Can we actually do this? Uh, so, you know, obviously going through a lot of research, uh, we wanted to, if we were going to do it, we wanted to engage all the experts, right? Because we were experts in law enforcement, right? And tacticians and all those, you know, types of things. Uh, none of us were teachers and none of us were psychologists. And so we wanted to engage a team of educators and school psychologists to make sure that as we broke apart all the components and put them all back together, were we doing it in a way that was correct? Is it something that teachers are going to be familiar with, right? With the lesson plans and the methodology based upon grade level and age appropriateness. Was that all correct? Better yet, were we by imaging, by concept, by language, also not triggering any of these kids? Or were we not, you know, essentially inducing more trauma than we were trying to prevent? And so it was about a two-year journey of taking apart everything and putting it all back together all the way down, you know, to the acronym, right? Hero, right? We wanted simple, easy to understand language and words that you would hear in a classroom, right? Like, you know, if we don't use the word fight, we use the word overcome. And it's, it's those types of things that we really wanted to put into the program. 
uh, to ensure that we were, again, not only teaching these skills, not, not only for school, but we really call it a life skill, right? To take this skill beyond the walls of the classroom, to use it anywhere in life where violence or someone who might try to harm you, you know, may find you. But also that we were doing it in such a way that they could remember that it was simple to understand and it became just as simple or as easy as other emergency type drills like a fire drill or, or, or a duck and cover earthquake drill, you know, on the West Coast. We wanted something really simple and easy to remember. And that's kind of real that where that journey started. Yeah, you know, I'm really glad you bring up that language specificity because you're right. It's so critical when maneuvering these topics. Naturally, you want it to be useful for students, but you also don't want to create an environment of non, uh, unneeded fear, unneeded stress. And uh, there are larger conversations shaping the education world today on those topics, regardless of you know how standardized testing creates unneeded stress, how workloads and how we approach homework and grading at all creates unneeded stress. So you add on top of that getting them in the mindset of prepared, uh, you know, preparedness for an active shooter. And, you know, I, I can see why that's a delicate tightrope to walk. So walk us through your approach to that balance, right? How have you maneuvered creating that curriculum that is useful, but that also understands the impact that touching on these topics can have on students? Well, you know, you make a great point because it's seemingly everything in school can create that touch point of some sort of trauma, right? Like the stress of standardized testing, the stress of, you know, any number of things. Uh, you know, I was not great in math at school. And so if I do, I had a math test coming up, it stressed me out like crazy, right? And so, you know, when you try to get yourself in the, in the head of some of these young kids, and, you know, thinking back to like when we went to school, we didn't have social media. The Internet wasn't a thing. Um, so it, we were it was really confined just kind of to us. But now, you know, kids have that extra layer of stress of social media, of this almost overinformed world. So we knew that kids were more stressed in school than ever for a variety of reasons. And so when we came down to the language, you know, we would literally sit down and have arguments. Do we use escape or do we use exit? Do we use, you know, we really got down in the minutia of trying to understand what was going to be simple and effective. Um, and that was pretty much universal, right? Because even as we would translate it into different languages, can the concepts translate into different languages so we're not losing anything, right? Because we wanted it very equitable for everyone. We wanted access. We wanted equality. We wanted everyone to kind of understand and use it. And so, you know, we even talk about fight and the word fight, right? You know, because you know, we hear, you know, the government recommendations of a run, hide, fight mindset. But what we discovered is a lot of people are actually violence averse to begin with, even adults, right? If I tell you, hey, so there's an armed assailant outside, uh, might be a gun, might be a knife, I don't know. Um, but um, when that person comes in, we're all going to fight him. That would check out a lot of people. A lot of people, I notice, you know, even teaching the previous types of concepts in law enforcement you could just see like, I know you have to talk about it, but there's no way I'm doing that. And they would already kind of self-select out of some of these just based upon the language that we were using or the way that we were describing the concept. So when it came to schools, right, fight is a bad word in school. We don't encourage our kids to fight in school or out of school. And so we said, well, what else can we use? What are the types of terminology that would be, you know, familiar to them, but it wouldn't be you know, so maybe aggressive or wouldn't be the where you really have to try to talk through it. And that's kind of the idea where overcome came because a lot of, you know, teachers use the word overcome. And when, you know, I, I train and I ask teachers, you know, what's the first word you think of when I use the word fight? And, you know, you hear things like punch or kick or, you know, you hear those types of like, you know, these actions. 
I go, but what about overcome? If I say that, what, what are some of the first words that come to mind? And you think about you know, challenges. So overcoming challenges, overcoming fear, um, overcoming, you know, adversity. And so by using the term overcome, we really wanted to put in, it's not necessarily always physical, that you might have to overcome the fear of what's happening, that you can overcome some of these uh, challenges uh, that are presented to you. And, you know, the physical side of overcoming is the things that we're kind of familiar with, right? So, you know, creating an environment of chaos, disruption, disorder, yelling, screaming, throwing, run, doing all kinds of things is where we talk about overcome, not necessarily that we're running up or we're, you know, we're punching people or we're kicking people. And it became important, especially for those younger kids, knowing that they could do anything to help overcome should someone try to hurt them in a classroom or if they're, you know, someone's trying to take them in a park or trying to lure them away. You know, you can use a handful of sand, you can use a stick, or you can use anything around you to help protect you while you yell and scream and creates kind of some of these life safety kind of tools that you can use, again, in or out of that classroom. So that terminology became very important to us. And then putting together in some sort of word or acronym that was, again, kind of familiar to them. And, and HERO just ended up kind of being this really nice acronym. Um, kids are used to it. Kids are used to superheroes, right? And the villains. And so it kind of really led into the, a lot of the methodology of teaching, how it works. Um, but, you know, we say, even though, you know, programs hero, but hero is really helping yourself before you help others. And we, we reinforce that throughout that you have to stay safe and be safe yourself before you can try to help others. So we're not, you know, hey, all right, we're all going to run down and we're all going to do this together. We're all going to be heroes. It's a little different, right? We really try to tone back and let kids understand what that really means obviously in this uh, scenario, but also kind of in life in general. I like that big intersection too, because a lot of these skills, especially the overcome component, feel like they extend beyond just, you know, active shooter or violent threat training. Um, they feel like they're also a touch point for building resiliency and a mentality of I am strong, you know, I have skills to overcome challenges in my life and I can apply these not just in the most critical of situations, but even when homework gets tough or when that kid on the playground is bullying me too. And, uh, you know, I need to tell him, you know, what's up. Right. So like that, that high level uh, approach, I think goes leaps and bounds beyond just being focused on active shooter training. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit too, or how you've seen that sort of extended impact have a positive effect on um, the students that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because what we really want to do and one of the, the kind of the tenets of the program is it's built upon something called empowerment theory. So everything we do in there is an, it's empowering language, empowering visuals, so there's no imaging anywhere of, you know, death or actually, you know, guns or knives or, you know, anything that would be any sort of violent content. The most, you know, kind of violent content, so to speak, uh, is one of our villains has this like laser gun looking thing. Um, and it's, again, very common and very kind of the kids are used to that type of kind of simulated type stuff based on all the other cartoons and all the other stuff that they're watching. Right. So we really want to be very, very careful in how we did it. But having that empowerment theory essentially mean that we can empower kids against this. Again, we're building some of that confidence in a very scary topic, right? How do you even talk to kids about this to begin with? And, and as you, you know, open up with like, I should be an expert in something else. I shouldn't have to be an expert in this because it really shouldn't be a thing, but it is. And it's, you know, kind of the world that we've been handed. So let's deal with it the best that we can. What we've heard from kids when it comes to this empowerment thing 
is, and we've really heard it from parents. So a lot of parent feedback uh, of the program, both in our pilots as well as now, you know, in the years that's been running, has been, you know, I've seen a pretty dramatic change in my in my child or in my kid. And the first place we saw this was after the Parkland shooting um, a few years ago, where kids were, you know, rightfully so, kind of afraid to go to school. Right? They just, you know, not that far away. You know, we're I'm, we're based in California, so it was on the other side of the country for us. But regardless of where you were, kids could feel that fear. They could feel that these are my peers. Like these are people that look like me. They're about my same age. They go to a school very much like mine. And what we heard from parents as they were going through the program is that it was kind of changing the way their kids were looking at school, right? One parent actually told us, you know, her seventh grader said, I'm not afraid. I know what to do. I can hide, escape, run, overcome. I'm not, it's probably not ever going to happen. But if it does, well, well, I can hide, escape, run, overcome. Not a big deal. And it kind of started to quell some of these fears because we saw, we've seen all the way down to kindergarten and first grade that these kids understand there's something wonky in the world, especially when it relates to, you know, acts of violence and gun violence, active shooters. And as much as you try to protect our kids from the news, you know, we're in this over-information age. It's coming in every direction. And the kids are picking up. We've had, you know, first and second graders be able to name the the Las Vegas shooter by first and last name. You know, they had a direct connection because they saw it. One of the kids said, yeah, he, you know, he killed my neighbor. And so at that young, tender age, they're putting together, there's something not quite right here. They obviously they don't fully understand it, but they're piecing together. Something's not quite right. And when you get older, you know, we've had our high school students tell us, look, we are the, the age or the generation of active shooters. Like this is us. Um, and you really don't understand. You didn't grow up like this. We, we are. And so there's, there's a big disconnect regardless of the age group that these kids are feeling some anxiety and understanding something's not quite right here. And so trying to give them, a tool or tools to use to empower them to feel safer and understand the likelihood is yes, very, very small, especially if a school shooter, but, you know, looking at that life skill, you know, anywhere you go in life, you know, it's seemingly that you could be, you know, subjected, you go to a soccer game or you go to a basketball game or you go to a football game. It's like, you know, these fights break out, all these incidents break out and to understand what to do and how to stay safe was one of the big components of that. And we've seen it all those different great levels that kids are feeling safer at school uh, and really out and about because they do have at least something to attach to it, right? They have something that they can ameliorate that fear with instead of nothing because we've given kids other things to deal with things that they're fearful of. And this was one that we never really have until recently. And so it's, again, giving them maybe, you know, some might call it a safety blanket, but it's it's something that they can kind of latch onto and go, okay, this is fearful, but I have this. And it can the, the kids really start to connect the two together. I want to bring up a specific example of this at work. You know, naturally, ideally, students, you know, never have to use the core skills picked up from the HERO program. And uh, the Newport Mesa School Board in California back in 2019 said as much when they approved using Safe Kids Inc. for safety training. I'll just quote a chunk from the LA Times here on the announcement. Um, quote, I'm sorry that we need you, Board President Charlene Matoyer told Safe Kids representatives after the vote. Does that make sense? And here you're quoted here, quote, so are we, right? So uh, what are school districts seeing as the value of, of uh, investing in the HERO program? And how are they also intersecting this with larger safety strategies for prevention? Because some of this is naturally reactive, right? You are in this situation. Here's how to respond. Um, but there's another layer of even preventing these situations from happening in the first place. So how are you seeing school districts invest in it with that holistic mentality in mind? 
So the value to the first part of your question, the value comes from this is a kind of a hot button topic that's extremely hard to deal with. Uh, you know, most parents are, are, number one, afraid of the topic, right? And they're really afraid what the school districts are going to talk to them about the topic because it begins to get political, right? So whether you have gun control issues that pop up, uh, political kind of thought process one way or the other, it can become a very um, decisive topic or something that, that is kind of a lot of schools are like, hey, we have to do our lockdown drills. And so you do them and then the parents are complaining, you know, my kid come, has come home and he's really scared or, you know, she's been crying. Um, you know, again, we've we've just by, you know, sitting, locking the door and hiding in the dark for 15 minutes while someone rattles a door um, or makes some loud noise outside has created a bunch of drama. Right. Kids don't like being in the dark for the most part, especially the younger they are. And so you have all kinds of compounding things. What a lot of districts have said is like, number one, this takes a very hot button topic off our plate. We can do it. It, it is also school-wide, so now we have the responsibility, not only, obviously, you know, the teachers have, but, you know, should something happen, we know that everyone in our district, everything from our teachers to our, you know, our support staff, uh, our professional staff, and our kids have an idea what to do and react. And so it creates a much safer environment. You know, it runs, you know, really from preschool all the way through through high school. So some of these districts have the same safety concept, regardless of grade level, right? Obviously instructed very much differently, all those types of things, but the core concept of safety is the same district wide. And it takes a lot of the responsibility off district safety. Traditionally, a lot of districts will have, you know, their, their, if they have their own, you know, safety officer or public safety officer or director, you know, any number of titles for, for that type of responsibility, they're usually the ones who are tasked with, you know, doing run, hide, fight training or the lockdown drills or active shooter drills or whatever the district has has kind of adopted. Or worse yet, they actually have to come up with something on their own that's very district specific. Um, and again, trying to ad hoc some of this to put together and what we think the kids will understand and the teachers are okay with and all these types of things. And so the program for a lot of districts has really relieved the stress and the issues around that. Here's the program. It's, you know, we, we have research and evidence base. We've done this for a long time. We've had a bunch of professionals that have put this thing together. We don't have to try to crack the code ourselves. It's not really the district safety's responsibility now. It's a professional development for the teachers. The teachers are teaching it to the kids in the classrooms. So it kind of spreads it out. It meets English language art requirements. So that way we're meeting another set of standards. Teachers can earn professional development university credits for it. So we tried to piece all these things in together on a program that was easy to use, relieve the stress of the district. And it's one less thing for them to really kind of worry about. That was a big part of this. We want to take that stress off their plate to get back to other safety type stuff. Like you mentioned, prevention, right? Like we should be trying to prevent this type of thing. And the program has got a couple of components uh, by way of prevention that, you know, ties in with all the other different types of safety suites, right? So when we're thinking about with Raptor, with visitor management, emergency management, or the I Love You Guys Foundation, the SRP, and some of the, the, some of the other things that a lot of districts use as overlapping safety measures, we want to be that a puzzle piece that fit in there to help support all those different ones. And so by way of prevention, the young grades, right? The kids, you know, we ask, you know, what's suspicious, right? So, um, for us, it's a Venn diagram. It's people who hurt and people who help. That's the very first lesson. Very first things the kids get to qualify. Why are we even talking about this in the, you know, the K through about five level and the kids name who are helpful people and who are hurtful people. And they realize like, oh, someone without a visitor badge at school could be a hurtful people, right? Like we're looking out for visitor badges. We're looking. So the kids kind of get some of these very finite, small ideas at the, in the younger elementary grades. But as they get older in the, in the middle school and high school, 
And the very first lesson is actually prevention. And that le lesson talks about the seven signs that they would see in their friends or their peers, those behavioral signs that, that would indicate they're going into crisis, that their, their friends are, are on the way to maybe becoming or, or having some sort of violent event. And so, you know, talking about how to get help, how to report, how to kind of, you know, head off some of these, these concerning behaviors before they get too bad and realizing that we're actually helping our friends to get help and not, quote unquote, you know, snitching them out or ratting them out, you know, you know, so because then the police are going to come and they're going to get arrested because of whatever. We really want to try to, to, to have this prevention as part of the community piece and the part of that community piece of the school that we're all looking out for each other, right? Yes, we know that, you know, in elementary schools, it's usually someone from the outside, but we also know in those older grades that it's usually someone from the inside. It's usually a student or former student and someone that's familiar. So we have the opportunity to see a lot of warning signs and a lot of opportunity to get that person help along the way. And both the teachers are trained in those signs, what they will probably be seeing on their end as a teacher. But then the kids get it in their lesson about what they will be seeing kind of from their viewpoint and what are some of these signs and symptoms and indicators look like. And so we wanted to push, put all that together with the other technologies and protocols. So that way we know that we're trying to not only stay safe should something ever happen, but how can we try to get ahead of it and maybe never have to use our hero skills at school or otherwise? Well, in the scenario where they do have to use them, I know that uh, y'all already have some tangible examples of this program at work and it working positively. So I'd like to give you an opportunity to um, walk our audience through one of those. So can you give us a scenario where staff and students that had HERO program training then had to respond to a real life crisis and then how that impacted their experience and to what effect? Sure. And, you know, what's funny enough, we have both of those examples. We have them both in school and examples where kids have used it out of school, so hearing mm -hmm. it from parents. So, but I'll touch on the, on the school one. It sure. was an elementary school, about 700 or so kids. Um, and again, Murphy's Law, right? Lunchtime and everybody's out. So the way this particular scenario ended up happening was all the K3 kiddos had already eaten lunch and they're out playing on the playground. They're having a recess or having, you know, they're being kids, right? The older grades, the fourth and fifth grades were still eating. So they were kind of still on, you know, they had just kind of been let out and just began their lunchtime. This particular school had just started the hero program. So K3 had had the program. The fourth and fifth graders had not had it yet. So it was kind of an interesting scenario or model because half the kids had it and half the kids didn't. So lunchtime, gang shooting occurs on the back end of the school that ends up onto the school grounds. And this is a California school. So for those that may not be familiar with California schools, we're a little unique in that they're, we're pretty much wide open. So it's a bunch of kind of either long or triangular or square buildings that all open up to the outside. And our most areas where the kids eat, uh, playground areas is all wide open fields, grass fields, blacktop. Um, so it's most of our schools are pretty wide open. So this gang shooting occurs in the neighborhood, ends up on the school grounds. All the kids had obviously heard what was going on, right? They heard the sounds of gunfire. They all turned and looked and realized we have a problem. They all immediately started to yell, run, 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 which is something they kind of learn, right? Kind of this game of telephone because we might not get an announcement, right? We might be the first people to see what's going on. So let's share the information and get the heck out of there. So they all started to yell, run. So all these K, you know, first, second, third, they're all running back. They outran all their teachers. Uh, there was two teachers that were out there, obviously, you know, with the walkie talkies. As luck would have it, 
they were a bit out of reception uh, of of the front office. So they saw it, heard it, tried to radio it, never came through. So the, the front office still has zero idea what's going on. So within about 30 to 20, 20 to 30 seconds, all those kids, about 500 of them had vanished in the classrooms. They uh, self-evacuated off the field, all ran back, all found classrooms, all got into classrooms before their teachers did. Some of the teachers were talking about that the kids were already in the classroom holding the door. As soon as the teacher got in there, these kids were shutting the door, making sure it was locked, barricading it, doing all the things that they had learned. So it was a very, uh, they said it was interesting to watch because the kids were a little bit more calm than the teachers were. Like they, hmm. the kids were actually on the move and doing a lot of these things that you would traditionally think some of the teachers would be doing. Now, conversely, the fourth and fifth graders, by the time word started getting back, obviously f- from seeing and hearing everything that was going on, you know, the teachers were trying to usher them into the cafeteria, which was the closest, you know, kind of indoor space. And their response was very, what you describe as typical, right? So they're a little rowdy, they're a little loud, and it's all the anxiousness, all the nerves. Like, is, is this real? Did this really happen? Is it really happening? What's happening? Why are we doing this? All the very typical kind of responses you would think of fear and anxiety in obviously a very dangerous situation. The front office actually never really learned about what happened until probably about 30, 45 seconds afterwards when a delivery driver who happened to be driving by saw what was going on, pulled into the front uh, parking lot, ran in the front office and, and you know, told the principal, hey, there's a shooting at the back of your school. Uh, you, you probably, you, I've called 911, like, let's get some help going. And so the principal said, she goes, by the time she heard that, went to her window and looked outside, everyone was gone. The, like the whole school had already responded before that command of, of lockdown had already gone out. And she described it as a complete night and day difference, not only from, you know, drills of, you know, just simple lockdown drills they had run previous to the use of the HERO program, but also between the two groups of students, there was a night and day difference of how the kids who had the program responded versus the kids who did not have the program and how they responded. Um, and so that's kind of one of the examples, of, as we've seen in a school setting, how the kids really kind of understand what to do. Again, it's at lunch. You only had a couple of teachers that in a traditional kind of mindset would have known kind of what to do in trying to corral 500, you know, K-3 years off the playground with two teachers um, while there's a very critical incident that's occurring. Um, you know, they, from everyone that we talked to that was there that day said that it was, it was completely different. It was something that they almost wouldn't believe it if they hadn't seen it. Um, just the way that everyone reacted. Obviously, the kids were scared and and all those types of things, but they were able to to do what they had to do to stay safe. And at the conclusion of the entire event, and this was kind of a little bit of a rougher neighborhood, as you might imagine, if they had gang shootings in their neighborhood. They, the kids didn't all necessarily have the best relationship with local law enforcement. Um, and at the conclusion of the event, um, some of the teachers reported, hey, you know, because they saw the police officers on campus, you know, making sure everything was safe and yeah, Hey, you know, you can come out of lockdown now. Some of those kids had actually asked, Hey, can we go out and like give them a high five or hug them? And they call them the enforcer. Uh, and in those younger books, we have a police like character called the enforcer who eventually comes and saves the day from, you know, the villain who's trying to hurt everybody. And the kids had connected the enforcer and the fact that, you know, this was kind of a good person, especially in this scenario, to the officers that were there. And that was kind of another very interesting outcome is that even in a neighborhood where there's some strained relations between law enforcement and the school that the kids were putting together, Hey, you know, I don't know what's going on, but today they're here to help us. And that a lot of the kids want to go out and thank the officers and, you know, give them a hug or high five. Um, again, we're seeing a difference from previously, um, you know, before the hero program to now after. 
Yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible to hear you describe the situation as the students, to some degree, being calmer and more action-oriented than the teachers, even. Um, and I think that just speaks a lot to maybe some of the soft skills that come from this as well, right? Uh, being prepared creates and instills a sense of calm, a sense of direction, a sense of how to maneuver stressful situations, but do so with the clarity of vision. Uh, and the fact that you know, students fifth grade and under could execute on something like that, I think goes to show that the skills learned here can be more valuable than just being able to maneuver uh, a life-threatening situation at schools, for example, right? Um, but I, I think that example also speaks well to the fact that Drills and role play and active practice is very necessary. It visualizes things a little bit more. It makes it more actionable so that when they're in that situation, they remember, oh, yeah, I ran into the school. I remember which classroom I ran into. I locked the door. I moved the desks in front of the door. I sat in this corner. Yeah, it's muscle memory at this point, right? So can you walk through how active practice plays a critical role in developing the hero program training um, and why y'all have put so much emphasis there over just high level intellectualizing of the issue? Well, you know, as educators, we know, you know, you can learn stuff from reading, you can learn stuff from watching, but you really probably mostly learn best from doing. And that was kind of a big part of the program is that, you know, we can read stories and we can watch videos, but, you're not connecting necessarily the information that you're receiving to actual skills, right? There's, there's a bit of a breakdown there, uh, which is why we can all watch, you know, superheroes and we can all watch the Olympics. And then we go out and try to do the same thing. It's not exactly the same, right? Like we haven't practiced the skills and have the, the ability to do that type of thing. And that same type of concept is applied here. And the way we want to structure is we knew that traditional drills are kind of scary. They're a little, they're a little jolting and they tend to be a little long. Um, you know, if we get our law enforcement, enforcement partners involved can be great. Right. But again, you get, could potentially have sirens. You could be have hyper-realistic type things. Um, most of these drills are usually as much law enforcement driven, meaning that law enforcement is there to learn your campus and learn some response that it is sometimes with the kids, even absent our law enforcement partners, uh, trying to run some of these drills in a meaningful way, again, can induce some of that stress. So we said, how can we not only learn by doing, right? So reinforcing by the kinesthetic portion, uh, portion of the learning, but how can we do it to where we build up, right? We create some context when we build up to something like that. And that's really where the lesson plans come in. So, you know, the program, regardless of grade level, is comprised of five lessons. For, the for those five lessons are one of is the, each of the concepts, right? Hide, escape, run, overcome. And in each of those lessons, the, the kids, you know, from high school all the way down to, to kinder, either read, see, engage with the concept, they talk about it, then they practice it very controlled. So whether it's it's hiding in a classroom or you know danger running outside or you know talking about escape or whatever those those things that overcome, that we we want to create context around it, they get to see it, then they get to practice it a little bit. And so we start to connect all those together. Well, as we do that over the course of the lessons, it culminates kind of in a either an all-together lesson plan where it's like a choose your own adventure where the kids can, you know, you're checking for learning and understanding that they're applying the correct concept given the right scenario and the story that they're reading or whatever. And, or as they move into school-wide drills, that those school-wide drills are tailored to reinforce the concepts that they learn. And then again, we're taking a little component out of it. So you know, the first school-wide drill might just simply be a lockdown drill or hide in a classroom. 
you know, we want that quick. We want about five minutes, right? Five or six minutes. Let's not interrupt the whole day. Why? Because we've already practiced these skills in the lessons. Now we're just checking for the school wide component of it. Or we want to do, you know, a, um, a either a run or escape school wide drill during a passing period at a high school, right? So the kids can understand while we're passing or we're at lunch. Well, here's what I can do before and after school, you know, pick up drop off type concepts. So we try to create not only the, a drill guide that, that, you know, allows and kind of is a, is a way or a tutorial on how to run some of these drills, but do it in such a way that we're also building upon what they've already engaged with and learned and practice in the classroom. So we're reinforcing those skills throughout the year because they're perishable, right? In law enforcement, we had this thing called perishable skills, which is why we'd practice certain skills every month or every quarter or every year. You know, they're not necessarily there. It's not always like riding a bicycle. Like, so once you, you know, once you do it, you kind of got it. These are skills that have to be kind of practiced and reminded. And over the course of a, you know, of the, the time you're in school or the course of years of learning, then they become that second nature. They do become ingrained just like, you know, a fire drill here, a fire alarm, you know exactly what to do. You don't think about it, right? So we want to create some of these skills where they went from learn to reactionary. And you can only do that by reinforcing it, you know, year after year and certain times throughout the year. All right, Adam, this has been such a great conversation so far. I appreciate you breaking down the program, the impact it's had, some specific examples of it at work, and again, some of the domino effects that this can create in instilling positive values in students. Uh, I want to get a little bit more strategic now, um, and then we'll also chat uh, an important partnership with Raptor Technologies as well, um, and how you see that supporting the future and the today of um, successful implementation of the HERO program. So let's start with those strategies. What would you like to see, or what are some one or two steps that you think school leaders should take on this year to ensure school safety and security for their school communities? Uh, you know, where are some of those changes most needed, and what are your strategies for implementing them? Well, you know, we consider school safety kind of a three-pillared or a three pillars, three-tier strategy approach, right? So those 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 pillars are really the physical. And so what's physical, right? So it's the fences, the cameras, the software and technologies that physically make the school safe. Part of that's the community, right? So engaging with obviously parents, the school community, understanding the community that the school is in, but also the community that's at the school, right? So all the different parents and, and what's going on in a very well-connected school communities is extremely important, especially as it relates to prevention and response. The third part of that is training, right? And that's stuff like the HERO program, and those are other, you know, prevention uh, training, you know, re recognizing signs. There is the people component of this to, that is required to really make all the physical stuff work and that we understand what we know, and what we see. Right. We've we've heard for so long, see something, say something. Unfortunately, what we discovered years after saying that uh, in government work was everyone knew what it meant, but no one really knew what they were looking for in order to know then what to say. And so a big part of that is the knowledge and the training and the, the people component to understand this. I say all that because every school and every district is a little different. One of the interesting things that I've seen, you know, now doing this for a while is when we conduct a professional development training, the first about 15, 20 minutes of it is kind of school safety overall. Like, how did we get here and why are we here? And the first kind of conversation that happens is, what do you see as one of the biggest or the couple biggest safety challenges or concerns at your school? Because the teachers are the ones who are using it day in and day out, right? I, you know, I can come in and access, anyone can come in and do an assessment and look and point some things out. But sometimes asking the folks that use it every day will get the biggest impact. And doing that, you discover 
you know, a lot of districts are dumping a ton of money into things that are good, right? So good camera systems or technologies, whatever the case may be, which is great. But then we discovered that the door or the gate locks are like 30 years old. Uh, there's somehow no money to replace them, you know, with crisis hardware or even to replace a little master lock and a gate uh, that's been frozen so they can't open it. So if they have to, you know, escape or get off the playground, you know, if the kids are out there, it's just, it's very interesting. So, you know, I always say the the strategy going ahead, regardless of whatever programs uh, and, and safety things that you have implemented is for principals to quite frankly ask their teachers, hey, what's the top two safety concerns that you have at our school? And listen, because it, you might be surprised with what they come back with. I have, I you know, it, just hearing these things, the, it's, it's, it's almost all the same. It's all physical security by the way of um, uh, gate locks or the ways to get out. You know, we've, we've spent so much time putting big fences up and big gates and big locks and all this other stuff to keep people out. Um, we kind of forgot what if we have to actually get out, right? If it's safe to get off of school campus or get into the neighborhood or into a parking lot away from wherever this bad thing is happening. And so we've seen egress by way of physical security be a, a pretty big obstacle um, to school safety and one that is often kind of overlooked. And I would say the second part of that that I hear quite a bit is the, the, the management of people at school, right? The visitor management, volunteer management, um, who's coming in and who's going out and who's monitoring that. Um, you know, some campuses have an open campus policy. There, there is no fence. So you have to kind of direct people, hopefully to the office <laughs> with signs or something else, um, to, to try to secure that campus and know who's there. Are they supposed to be there? Um, and so that's kind of an area, another area that, you know, I see as a challenge when it creates to just sheer access control. Um, but again, every school is different. You know, uh, obviously our program has been one that has often been identified because the kids, you know, something will happen in a community. And they're scared. You know, the school is scared. The kids are scared. Teachers are scared about what do we do? What's our plan? What should we be talking about? Um, and then sometimes they're even more scared by the training that they receive or, or, or some of the things that are talked about. So, you know, I would say the biggest trends coming up is listen to your teachers and see what's going on in your community at your school property uh, to make the biggest impact moving forward in, in school safety. And like I mentioned, Adam, I want to get your thoughts on the Raptor Technologies partnership that uh, Safe Kids Inc. is participating in. So in case our audience is unaware, uh, clients of Raptors uh, that use our emergency management suite are now offered one year of complimentary training through the HERO program and through Safe Kids Inc. So I'm curious your thoughts on this partnership, Adam. Um, tell us how that works specifically and how else schools and communities can connect with you to build these kind of partnerships. Sure. Well, we, you know, we've been absolutely thrilled, um, you know, to partner with Raptor and they were, you know, if you ever have those, um, those rock star moments, right. When you're growing up and you see your idol or, you know, someone that you really idolize and that you're, you know, it's kind of famous and you finally meet them. And then not only do you meet them, but you become friends with them after that. <laughs> um, that was, this partnership was a little bit of that for us, right? I mean, Raptor has been such a iconic name in school safety for so long. Uh, you know, we would run into them, you know, through my entire law enforcement career, I ran into them. We'd, we'd use, we'd hear about it or see about it. Certain schools in our areas were using them. Um, and then obviously as we began safe kids, you see them all over, you know, every trade show, we were always, you know, saw them and we're like, wow, this is such a cool program. Like, why didn't we think of this? Right. <laughs> so, you know, a few years ago, as we began, you know, different conversations and working with them on a couple of projects, uh, and this partnership optimally came about, it was one of those kind of moments where, you know, you see such a well-recognized 
name and you know, people that who, you know, like they said, the gold standard, right? Really who do what they do very, very well. And to essentially become friends with them now and like, and working together towards this mission of school safety has been amazing for us. Um, so that's, um, the partnership works, you know, any Raptor client of any of the services can use the hero program, uh, for at no cost complimentary for their first school year. Um, and that could be as much or as little as they want. So some are like, Hey, I don't know about this curriculum thing, but we for sure want to at least start with the training. We'll do that. Not a problem. A lot of them are like, yeah, let's go. Let's get the curriculum going. Let's, 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 let's take full advantage of it and do a complete onboarding. And so all that, you know, as many folks know, onboarding any new program can be somewhat of a, of a beast to take on, uh, depending on the size of the district or the schools. Um, but we're there every step of the way. So our onboarding and, you know, the use of our program for that first year is no different than if someone who was not a Raptor client showed up and, you know, paid, you know, normal curriculum rate for the program. So it's really no different. Um, and then post that complimentary year, you know, we do special pricing uh, or reduced pricing for, for Raptor clients. Cause again, in our minds, right, all these different pieces of the puzzle are making our kids safer in school so they can get back to what they should be doing in school, which is learning. Um, so for us, you know, it's really about the outcomes. It's about are kids safer? Are they feeling safer? Are they using you know, all the most appropriate software and tools and training available to them to keep the kids safe and their staff and their, the teachers safe, right? I mean, we forget that school is a work environment, right? That people actually work there, that you know, these events are workplace violence events for a lot of people. And so the other thing we didn't want to do was forget you know, our teachers and our, you know, our staffs and, and all the professional staff and everyone that, that makes a school work and makes a school run. Um, so the partnership with Raptors Reach, obviously, and with their, you know, their reputation, you know, blends so well with what we do and our reputation. It's been a fantastic partnership and one that, that obviously for years to come will continue to make kids safe, uh, kind of regardless of where they're at. And to, to get started or to learn more or any of that type of thing, or they're about the program, uh, the hero program or a partnership or anything else, uh, safekidsinc.com or raptortech.com, either one of those has program details. Uh, you can call us, you can write us, you can, put a message in a bottle. You can put on a carrier singing telegrams. We accept, uh, so just about everything. Um, we really, you know, we really, uh, do focus on our schools. Um, you know, we do focus. So that customer component, cause we know this is not the easiest thing in the world. Um, you know, we are constantly on FaceTime calls or Skype calls or zoom calls, you know, with teachers in their classroom. Well, what, what, where's safe? Is this safer or is this safer? Like I got the whole hide thing and I got this thing, but what about this? So we, you know, we do a lot of engagement, obviously you know, a lot virtually, but also in person, um, to really handhold and, and to work through safety concepts with schools and teachers beyond the training and even beyond, you know, the, the parts of the curriculum. Because we really do want to be that partner in safety. We we understand that not everyone has the luxury of having you know a safety director or you know a veteran law enforcement officer, retired officer that can make some of these decisions. A lot of schools and a lot of districts are left with. Um, well, we've been doing this a while, and we watched the news, and I watched a, a, a video on YouTube, and I think this is maybe what we should do. Um, so for a lot of schools and districts, we kind of really operate as that safety friend or that safety partner to ask those types of questions and understand, are they spending money in the right spots? Are some of these policies and the things we're doing, are they the industry standard? Are they working well? Is this what we should be doing or not? So, you know, all, all the schools that we work with, we really consider them our friends. Um, and, you know, we take the amount of phone calls I get to my cell phone or to my email or anything, and we answer almost any time of the day or night, not quite, uh, but for the most part, if you got a question, you're gonna get an answer pretty quick from us. So um, that all that being said, like I said, we're here to help 
um, regardless of, of, you know, how small or how big, because we feel that everyone should be safe, right? Everyone should have equity and access to safety, should have equity and access to what's going on, special education, special needs, doesn't matter. Everyone should have the ability to know and to have tools to help keep them safe in life, regardless of where they are or regardless of where they're learning. Love that. I don't think I could have summed up the ethos of the company any better than you just did. So, uh, Adam, thank you again for joining us. And, you know, you said singing Telegram. So, you know, safe kids, Inc. Uh, yeah. <laughs> time to, time to get right in a jingle, right? <laughs> we will take it all. <laughs> I love it. Hey, put me to work. Love me some singing, too. So, you know, if you need a jingle, I'm, I'm, I'm your guy. You're right. hired. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Business connections on the podcast. That's what I'm talking about. All right, Adam, thank you so much for your time on the podcast today. It's been great getting to pick your brain on strategies, on partnerships, on uh, the impact of uh, the HERO program on students and educators alike. And I have a feeling, you know, these Issues don't just go away, right? And it's about building, uh, excuse me, building the right set of tools to maneuver proactive safety, reactive safety, and everything in between. And it sounds like Safe Kids Inc. is going to play a critical role in that larger puzzle moving forward. So thank you again. Again, folks, we've been chatting with Adam Coffrin. He's co-founder of Safe Kids Inc. and the developer of the HERO program. Again, Adam, uh, if folks want to get in touch with you or they you know, want to pick your brain a little bit on some of these topics, how can they do so? Absolutely. So I'll give everyone my email address. It's Adam, A-D-A-M, at safekidsinc.com. Uh, we have plenty of storage. Send the way. Um, so email is a great way. Our number here is 877-344-HERO, H-E-R-O. Um, again, safekidsinc.com or any of the links, uh, especially if anyone's a Raptor client, get a hold of your customer success or representative. They all know how to get a hold of us. Um, so like I said, any way to get a hold of us, uh, we're more than happy to take those phone calls, text messages, emails, and get back to you as, as soon as we can. Uh, and again, however we can help. Perfect. Adam, thank you again for your time. And I'm looking forward to seeing what great work you and your org do moving forward. So chat again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of School Safety Today, a Raptor Technologies podcast. If you like what you heard and saw and you want some more insights from the Raptor team, make sure you're heading to our website, raptortech.com. Again, that's raptortech.com. And make sure that you're subscribing to School Safety Today on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of School Safety Today. <music>